Want to hear more about life from a Catholic perspective? Ave Spotlight is a new weekly podcast where you'll hear from special guests about culture, current events, and all things Catholic. Walk away with a better understanding of your faith and how to live it in the world today. Check it out at AveMariaPress.com and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. When we think about bringing Catholic young people into adulthood, what should be included and prioritized for their formation as mature disciples? There is a lot we could talk about around that question, but today we will be talking about the crucial role of intellectual formation for Catholic young adults, especially in and around the college years. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. Joining me to talk about the intellectual formation of Catholic young adults is my friend and colleague, Dr. Tim O'Malley who is the Director of Education in the McGrath Institute and teaches in the Department of Theology at Notre Dame. Among other books, Tim is the author of Liturgy and the New Evangelization, Bored Again Catholic, How the Mass Could Save Your Life, and Off the Hook, God, Love, Dating, and Marriage in a Hookup World. Hi, Tim. Hi, Lenny. Good to be here with you today. (laughs) Well, Tim, it's good to be with you, too. Hey, we uh, we wanted to get together and kind of talk about the importance of intellectual formation of young adult Catholics, maybe especially around the college years. And I first think that we need to maybe talk a little bit about why this is important, this intellectual formation of young adult Catholics. And then we'll probably also have to talk about like how this intellectual formation takes place, where it takes place. Are we talking about Catholic colleges? Are we talking about other forms of engagement? So why is the intellectual formation of young adult Catholics important or is it not? Yeah, I think like it's essential, right? So that's why we're talking about it first <laughs> off. But uh, um, I actually think it is essential. When I think about how most people are engaging questions of formation of young adults. They're focusing on evangelization. And what they want to do is introduce young adults to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is great, right? A relationship that involves their whole being. They want small groups and a kind of encounter where you can be known by name. These are essential dimensions of a kind of young adult life where you often feel like no one knows you. On the other hand, I think one of the problems with this approach to evangelization is that it leaves leaves behind the fact that a lot of young adults have pretty essential questions about the meaning of Catholicism, the meaning of their lives, and they need a tradition, they need like a hypothesis that helps them answer some of these questions. And so they can't just think about it themselves or gather together with a group of people who share their pooled ignorance. They want something more, and to answer those questions requires something like a theological formation, an intellectual formation that certainly is much richer than you often find in some evangelization programs. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, as I think about this, especially around the college years, whether or not young adults are in college, at least, you know, in their early 20s or so, at least training for a career involved in some kind of formation in other ways, right, for their profession, for what they're going to do. 
and giving a tremendous amount of time and attention and oftentimes study to these to all these various disciplines, whether it's in their specific field or if they're in college to a variety of different subjects, perhaps. And it seems to me that like we're formed by what we constantly gaze at, or to put that another way, we're formed by what we constantly think about and how we think about things. And so, you know, from my perspective, this intellectual formation of young adult Catholics has to do with creating the kind of, or giving them the possibility of having the kind of thought patterns that would be conducive to a Catholic worldview, to this integration of knowledge, that we spend a lot of time making sure that our emerging adults are very skilled and very competent in a whole lot of different things, or at least in a few things that are relevant to their chosen career path. But if you don't have that kind of like, at least some kind of intellectual rigor about things that have to do with the Catholic faith, about a way of thinking, like you said, having a hypothesis for the significant questions of life, then maybe you don't turn against it in any kind of hostile way, but it's just kind of, it's limp. Like there's a, there's a, you're limping along in your mind and in your intellect in terms of this rigorous engagement with the world in a Catholic way. Yeah, no, I'm very infused with, um, I should say I'm very inspired by the work of Monsignor Luigi Giussani, his work in, um, he found a community and liberation, but is also the author of a great book called The Risk of Education. And I think the intellectual formation we're talking about, right, I think the reason why people bristle at it is because they think, okay, intellectual formation means abstract formation, right? It means, okay, how do we infuse ideas and turn people into kind of robotic apologists that are able to explain their faith and understand every philosophical argument? But, you know, I think what we really mean by an intellectual formation in what Jasani meant by it is we want students to learn to face the real, right? To look at the real. And it's hard to know the real. Like, what is reality? What is goodness? What is the right way to live your life? How do I do that? And if you do that simply by conversing with your peers and talking around one another, you have no sort of interrupting voice, no third possibility. So, you know, I think the rigor is, you know, what is the meaning of the person of Jesus Christ for me? How have Catholics talked about that before? Is there anything I can learn about that? How does that shape how I live my life or understand suffering or joy? I mean, these real questions that we have, you know, an intellectual formation in that sense is a contemplative formation. It forms us to face the real, to ponder it, and to deal with then the tradition in a contemplative mode. Like, what does it mean for me and why does it have meaning for my life here and now? I like that term that you use, the robotic apologist. Like, I think that's that's often what is thought about, like, in terms of an intellectual formation. You're just kind of preparing people, equipping people to give these rote responses to basically assaults on the faith. But when you're talking about a kind of contemplative formation of how to think about the real, it's not just about responding to the attacks on your own personal faith or the Catholic tradition. It's about maybe it's something deeper and it probably is something deeper, like actually becoming a persuasive person, like not necessarily somebody who's going to proselytize, but somebody who can give a credible account of the Catholic faith in the real world so that it makes sense to other people. And the beauty of it, which is already persuasive, becomes persuasive in the world in which you live and inhabit. So, I like that term you use, the robotic apologist, because I think it really captures that, like that idea that it's always on the defensive. And maybe a different way of thinking about this is the formation to become a persuasive source of goodness for others. 
Yeah, I think when I was younger, I, I did want to be the robotic apologist. I didn't really understand what theology was. I grew up as a kid in a public high school setting. I was this disastrous nerd reading the catechism on the bus in seventh and eighth grade because people kept asking oh me questions. That's so bad. Yeah, I was... It was not a destiny of coolness. Um, <laughs> I, I regret uh, and, that there was no social media then because we, we could have some kind of record of this. People would have likely recorded you doing this and then sent it out into the, the internet universe and we would have it. But lost Yeah, I mean, it certainly would have, there certainly would have been images of me sort of being beaten up too on the bus. So yeah, I mean, I think that I, tr- I did this because I was like, I want to know why, like, what do people say? You know, I grew up in the South and everyone's like, well, why do you worship Mary? And I was like, I don't even know if I do worship Mary. So I, I got <laughs> to read this book. I'll get back to you when I figure it out. Yeah. So I like began to read and I think like it opened up for me. I think what was odd about the catechism is that it didn't actually bestow to me all of the answers to the kind of questions I was hoping to find. But it introduced me to this world where I, ha- I suddenly looked at these footnotes and I was like, who is this person named Augustine and who's Thomas Aquinas and who's Teresa of Avila and why do they matter? And how did I not know that they existed to help me think through this? And I think it, it actually, ironically, this way of reading the catechism saved me from this robotic apologetics, you know, in addition to having a, a sort of formation that was intellectual, but also spiritual, learning the Psalms and things like that. How did you get started with that? You just on your own kind of picked up the catechism? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a weird youth group, you know, like I I think I have written and talked a lot about youth ministry, probably mostly because my youth group was so weird and good. You know, it wasn't just sort of dedicated to affective things. Our priests came in every other week and we would do uh, study. We went to a monastery once a summer for a week and we would pray with the monks and then we would read books, you know, we would take classes together. So, Suddenly, like we're we're thinking about interreligious dialogue and the scriptures, and you know, here's like the Trinity and what it means. And so I began to like pick up like a recognition that like I could live a Catholic life where I asked pretty big questions and I prayed, and I could sort of integrate this together. And so I think I picked up the Catechism because after a while of attending these events, I recognized like there's more to be known, and I can just sort of pick this up and read through it. And it led me, I guess, to Augustine City of God, which I checked out in a terrible translation from my parish library. And, and like it just sort of set me on the path that probably changed my life. So I guess like my nerd nerdiness came honestly. <laughs> Well, this is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with my colleague, Professor Timothy O'Malley, who, among other things, is Director of Education in the McGrath Institute for Church Life and teaches in the Department of Theology at Notre Dame. We're talking about intellectual formation for young adults. So, Tim, unlike you, I, I didn't have quite that kind of childhood. Like, I didn't have a Catholic youth group. I did go to a youth group, but it was at a non-denominational church, though I was raised Catholic. Southern California type things. That was my life. I think it was mostly like a little bit in my Catholic high school, but then especially when I went to college that I really got into the study of theology and having my own ways of thinking sort of enriched through this kind of study. And, you know, obviously like both of us now teach theology. So we went like pretty far in terms of that kind of study. But even had I not stayed in the business of theology, it would have profoundly formed and influenced the ways that I think, the things that I know, and the things that I could speak about. But I think when we're talking about like the prospects of the intellectual formation of young adults, many might think that, well, we're talking about 
maybe these Catholic colleges and universities and their role in forming the young people that go through there. But I mean, to be honest, if we're talking about Catholic young adults in general, the vast majority of them will never go to a Catholic college or university. If they go to college and university, much more likely to be at a state school, community college, or some other private school that's not Catholic. So that being the case, like, how are we to think about this task of the intellectual formation of young adult Catholics if it isn't simply about theology departments at Catholic colleges and universities? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, especially because I have a worry that, you know, in the future, there's not actually going to be many Catholic universities sort of still around. I mean, you know, in my own sort of doctoral education, I did a lot of work in higher education and particularly sort of a history of Catholic higher education. I recognize the precariousness even at the time of a lot of these institutions and their endowments. You know, what happens is at the end of intellectual formation, if we have a significant decline in Catholic schools and universities, you know, not to mention that most people don't go, as it was said, to one of these institutions. So I've thought a lot about it. You know, I think part of our problem is we think about intellectual formation exclusively within a official scholastic or institutional mode, right? So intellectual formation is what university classes do at the university. And certainly they do, or at least they should. But, you know, I think I I was inspired in my own doctoral work by Pierre Hadot, who is a philosopher, Mm -hmm. who wrote a book called Philosophy is a Way of Life and studied like the history of like what philosophy actually was, that it wasn't abstract questions, but it was the kind of questions that helped you live your life here and now. And so I think we have to think, I, mean, I think we as theologians, as, as the church who are, are building new educational institutions, need to think about ways of better integrating these great questions, this, this approach to an intellectual formation into a day-to-day life, right? I mean, you don't have to get a degree in something to know something about it. And so I suspect that, you know, in the future, it's not just those who pursue sort of degrees in religious studies or departments of theology that will be answering these questions, but why can't an engineer uh, who's going to Michigan State or Purdue find great opportunities in their lives to, you know, take five, six, seven-week courses where they're having an opportunity to ask these questions too, presented in a way that's not sort of overly academic, right? So, overly concerned about the guild, but they're presented in a way that's really engaging, that, that is proposing to them a way of life. I want the church you know, to do this. I think in some ways this is what we're doing a little at the McGrath Institute, but I want the church as a whole to be aware of this, that we don't need to just get credited degrees in order to live the intellectual life. Well, certainly not if we're going to prioritize it as something that's essential for forming fully mature and missionary disciples as Catholics. Like, we couldn't just depend on credit-bearing courses and degrees for that intellectual formation. On the one hand, it's just not feasible. And on the other hand, like, we'd never be able to get enough capacity to be able to do it. So, I mean, you were mentioning, like, you know, an engineering student at a state school who's a Catholic, you know, a practicing Catholic, but doesn't have the access to this kind of intellectual formation. So expecting them to now take on a second degree at a Catholic university in a theology department, it's not—it's never going to happen. It's not going to work, at least for the vast majority of people. So, I mean, w- you and I talk about this a lot, like, in terms of the points of access, like, where can that kind of formation happen? And at a place like Michigan State or other state schools, they have superb Newman centers, right? So, 
it's not a Catholic school, but within the school, there's these Catholic communities as Newman centers, oftentimes attached to parishes, where a lot of these Catholic young adults who are pursuing their studies at these schools congregate, receive a tremendous amount of really excellent formation. But perhaps because there isn't a theology department attached, some of these Newman centers or other Catholic communities don't have the resources, the sort of intellectual resources, theological resources, to really fully provide the kind of intellectual formation that might be desirable and necessary. So I, I suppose like as as you're talking about that, like the integration of these this intellectual formation and these intellectual tasks into the day-to-day life, we're also thinking about like the points of access, like who has access to young adults, who's already providing really good formation, like you were talking about your youth group, really good formation. But then we might have to think about actually equipping those leaders and those institutions to be able to kind of offer this other side or dimension of formation for the sake of those they minister to. That's right. Yeah, I think a lot of these Newman centers are doing this, and they're doing it by their nature. They're run by the most talented people, sometimes some of the most talented ministers I know in the church, and they're very brilliant ministers, right? They, they are themselves well-read and, and thinking through things. I suspect that the, 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 the resources that are needed are, are proposing, you know, particular curricula that are designed to introduce these groups by, from top-notch scholars, but who are also top-notch teachers who can propose this sort of traditions to enable sort of a Catholic to know what needs to be known to be a Catholic, you know, once they are an adult uh, and to actually do the kind of learning that they'll need to do throughout their lives, right? So that they don't think, okay, when I'm done at the age of 24, then I can graduate and, you know, at this stage, everyone should spoon feed me everything else moving forward, right? Like it's an intellectual life, right? It's it's asking the great questions all the time. It's being provoked to wonder all the time. It's having resources where you know where to go to find the great stuff, right? You can you can uh, sift through those like terrible blogs, right? There are blogs that exist that you shouldn't read that don't actually present like anything close to the truth. And yet there's better literature out there you should read. And, you know, it's the, the thing that kind of shapes you and into like concrete forms of life on the other side. So, you, you know, those are really privileged places. And, you know, Catholic colleges and universities who are privileged to have a lot of resources ought to find ways to, you know, make available, you know, digital material to them, publish books specifically for these audiences, right? So these are audiences where uh, they'll read a book, but they might not read like, you know, all of Augustine's De Trinitate on the Trinity, but they might, you know, read like a guide to Augustine's De Trinitate, why it matters to you and what you have to learn from it. And and then, you know, uh, we need uh, like lots of other forms of media, this kind of, uh, what I'm thinking through is kind of learning that's integrated into the entirety of life, podcasts and, uh, you know, sort of short kind of clips and uh, th- that can help these folks learn on the go. And so I think if we start thinking in this way, you start building curricula that really help these young adults pursue the intellectual life as they move along. There's lots of places, you know, doing lectures and things like that, but it's the whole scale curricular development that I think is really a privileged opportunity moving forward. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, like the bad blogs that are out there, and the fact of the matter is there is a tremendous amount of content that's now available to just about anyone, right? So if you have a Wi-Fi connection, you can find all kinds of things about the Catholic life, about Catholic doctrine, about teaching. But to your point, 
not all of it is really worthy of engagement. It's there's various levels of quality. And I, I'm thinking about like some of this this reading I've been doing on the research into multitasking and what it does to people's minds. And I'll bring this back to the bad blogs in a moment. But one of the things that the repeated indulgence of multitasking, like constantly paying attention to all kinds of things at all times, one of the things that it seems to do to people is it dulls their capacity to filter out irrelevancy. So in other words, like you're paying attention to all these things at all the time and you lose the ability to prioritize what's most important, what's next most important, et cetera. And you sort of lose your own filters on what is quality and what lacks quality, what's credible and what lacks credibility. I think we see this in civic life. We certainly see this in terms of the prevalence of fake news and what gets which gets peddled off as true and what gets doubted even though it is true. Okay, so back to the bad blogs and all these things. To what you're talking about and having these sort of particular curricula and actually providing things of quality, it's not just, like you said, to be able to spoon feed people, here are the good things. It's also developing, especially for young adults, a taste for what's good so that they don't become dependent on whoever is serving them, whatever. They themselves can determine, you know what, this is quality, this is worthy of my time, and this is worthy of engagement, and this, I can tell, is not credible. This is not worthy of my time and my engagement. And so I see that also as a mark of a of a maturing disciple, of a person who's becoming more mature in their Catholic faith, that they themselves can become, in some ways, the judge of what's quality and what's not because they've been exposed to things that are of good substance. Yeah, I, I like the way that it was said. It is sort of developing this taste, this natural sort of sensibility that what this is is true and good, and I recognize it as so. I've lived it. I see the benefits of it. I've tried it out. You know, we're we're often reticent in the church to talk about critical thinking. A lot of people have gone through catechetical programs where when they ask a question like, well, why is this true or what is it true? They're just told, well, it is, believe it. And that works for a while. You know, it works through like seventh grade maybe or sixth grade, fifth grade. But after a while, it doesn't work, right? You want to know why and, and what is it? You know, that's like the best sense of critical thinking. It's a discernment, right? It's from the Greek, right? Uh, Critain, a, a discerning sort of palate that's able to recognize what's good and what's, what isn't. And you know, that's our, we need critical disciples, you know, not someone who just complains in order to complain. We have a lot of critical disciples um, <laughs> if it's just about complaining, but like we need critical disciples who, who can, who can assess the truth of what is, re, what is proposed. You know, not everyone proposes what is good. Even those within the church don't always propose what is the best. And there has to be real engagement and dialogue and a, and a real sense of like, well, actually this is true because it allows me to live my life in and to live the life of the disciple and not to sort of find myself, you know, concerned with fighting in the church or politics or the kind of violence that I think that often takes over the church that is precipitated by these blogs and what we talked about is these kind of robotic uh, ap apologists. So, you, you know, it is this discernment. Uh, it, it, that's part of the education. That's part of the intellectual formation. It's not just about what you know. It's a way of knowing. Yeah. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with my colleague, Professor Tim O'Malley, who, among other things, is Director of Education in the McGrath Institute for Church Life, teaches theology at Notre Dame. He and I are talking about intellectual formation, especially for young adults. You know, Tim, I think about 
like some of the saints that that I've studied that I've really enjoyed and learned a lot from, somebody like Blessed Franz Jagerstetter or Gianna and Pietro Mola, who were formed in this, not just in an intellectual Catholicism, but the intellectual engagement was part of their overall formation. So I was just teaching just this last week Franz Jagerstetter to my students. And one of the things that's so astounding about him, who didn't, he didn't have a college degree. He never went to a Catholic, you know, a Catholic school, never stepped foot in a theology department, but he was well catechized. And in his leisure time, he journaled, he studied the scriptures, he wrote a commentary on the Our Father. And because of that, he had the clarity of vision to recognize the abuses of Hitler's Germany as it was taking over Austria and everybody else in his town was going along with the propaganda that was being put upon them, he saw through it. And that kind of grasp on what's real, of having a place from which to make judgments about the world, you were talking about this earlier, this sort of contemplative formation to engage with what's real and to see clearly— that seems like the kind of model of an adult Catholic, a mature disciple that we would want to hold up. And I think it's similar with Pietro Mola, Gianna Mola's husband. They were both part of the, the Catholic action movement. They got together with others, regularly prayed together, studied the scriptures, and then engaged in works of mercy. And he said that it was through this engagement with Catholic action of getting to know his neighbor that he was freed from the sort of fascist tendencies of Italy in his time and place. And he actually credits that with saving him from going along with the propaganda that was being perpetrated. So when we're talking about these things in this sort of intellectual formation, it strikes me that we're not just talking about like good church citizens in the pew. We're talking about like really bold disciples in the world who can actually offer a true and freeing vision for others, really a prophetic vision based, again, like you said, on what's real and not on what is peddled as real. Yeah, it's everything, right? It's, that's, the, that's the thing, right? It's not just about this ecclesial citizenship and, you know, making sure that you can teach your kids. That, that's essential, but it's, it is recognizing what's true, what, where the lies are. You know, I, I taught my students this week a great sort of commencement address by David Foster Wallace. Oh, love it. Right, This Is Water. This Is Water, yeah. And, you know, here's this great sort of writer who is saying to them, like, listen, the point of a liberal arts education is that everyone worships something. <laughs> and the question is, is what are you going to worship and is it worthwhile? And if you don't get in the habit of asking that question, it doesn't matter where you get your degree from, right? You can have a degree from Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, Yale. Chicago, Notre Dame, Dayton, wherever you go to school, if you have that degree, but you don't learn to ask this question, you never got used to looking at the real, right? You don't ask the question, what do I worship? And, you know, I think that's the sort of interesting part of the Christian and the Catholic intellectual life, right? It's, it's the union of wisdom and worship. It's the union of, like, what am I going to do with my life? What is the good that I will pursue? And how do I know it? And that should be accessible to every single one of us, right? I've always was very moved by Augustine's uh, opening to a little work he wrote on true religion. And he says, you know, what distinguishes philosophy, ancient philosophy from Christianity, is that we actually care that everybody who worships also can know, right? So everyone who worships this one God also has the capacity to know this one God. 
And it's not just because it's nice to know things. It is because, you know, the world's salvation is at stake in this kind of knowing and being able to call, you know, totalitarian dictatorships the great lie that they are to reveal the kind of when politics becomes its own form of worship, right? Like we should be able as Catholics to notice that that is untrue, to recognize the great untruth and to have that honed, right? So that's essential to this intellectual formation. It's, it's what it means to be an evangelizing disciple, to, to transform a culture. It dig- I mean, this is part of God's plan to dignify us as creatures. Like, as you were, you were saying previously, it's not about being spoon-fed, here's just what to believe and go and do it. It's actually to become knowers of God and to be able to interpret this world. And I I love the way you said that, like following Augustine, like everybody who worships can and ought to be able to know, like this isn't just a secret knowledge for the few. This is actually part of our baptismal call and our baptismal dignity is that we should be able to reckon with this world fully and to be able to call truth, truth and lies, lies. So on the, on the point of truth and lies, I hope we have spoken more truth than lies today, but we've come to the end of our time, Tim, so it's time for us to say goodbye to our listeners. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a treat. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed. It's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits?